0: Welcome to the Moving in the Right Direction podcast, a podcast designed to successfully guide seniors and their families in moving from their longtime home to the lifestyle they deserve. I'm your host, Chris Essenberg, and I am joined as always by a senior real estate specialist, Bruce Nemovitz. How are you doing, Bruce?
1: Doing great, Chris.
0: Well, I know we are we are getting close to the holiday season. It, that time is is upon us. And uh, I know that uh, everyone out there is probably, you know, doing their part to to get ready, whatever that means for them. Um, But uh, something that comes up every time is uh, is the family family dynamics, which, of course, typically, uh, you know, that can range anywhere from, you know, fun stuff, easy stuff to to more more complicated stuff. But I know, Bruce, in in your profession, uh, family dynamics can be one of the toughest part. Uh, one of the toughest parts of your job, based on the stories that you've told me, and that's only actually gotten uh, more so. That's only become more true in the last uh, decade or so. That's what you were telling me.
1: Yeah, Chris. Um, I, are you referring to my clients or my specific family? Because I could tell you, in my own life, uh, when we get around those holidays. Uh, I think emotions come out and, uh, you know, me being the progenitor of all these grandchildren and my children and with my wife, Jean, uh, you know, everybody every day has got some kind of an issue that we're dealing with, but it seems to be right around the, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas time, our emotions kind of get jacked up a little bit. So I try to get ready by uh, going to the Y and and really working out so I'm ready for the <laughs> events that are about to happen.
0: Absolutely, I, I try and do the same thing. I'm sure we're not alone in that. Um, but I, I know that it also comes into play in your professional life quite a bit. Uh, you were actually telling me that uh, selling one's home, the process of selling your home can be more uh, traumatic than uh, a divorce for, for, for families going through that. Is that, is that uh, can you tell me a little about that?
1: You know, I've been through so many um, transitions of uh, older folks moving into senior communities and condos. And in the beginning, when I was first really getting to this niche that I developed working with seniors and their family, uh, I realized that there are so many different uh, needs that older folks have that are being overlooked by especially younger realtors. And I wrote a couple of books about it because, The emotions are accelerated, I would say, to the point where frozen, I guess, is the best word I can come up with. Folks get frozen, procrastination, fear, all anxiety, all of these, these fear emotions kind of come to the surface. And it's not just for the seniors moving, but it's for their children also.
0: Sounds like something that really could use uh, a professional, like someone, uh, uh, like a therapist or something like that, a psychologist. Uh, if only we knew where to find one. Oh, wait, it's today's guest. Uh, we've got a great, a great guest. Uh, now, Bruce, I know uh, our, our guest, Alan Wolkenstein, uh, was formerly a psychologist, but you've, uh, you've gotten to work with him quite a bit uh, and gotten to know him quite a bit. Um, Do you want to tell us how you you came to to know Alan?
1: Years ago, I sold Alan a home, which I believe he's still living in today, and I know he loves it. Uh, He has become a good friend and shared some of his wisdom over the years with me as I shared some of my real estate stories with him. And I never really realized that one of his specialties was family dynamics, family therapy, And I asked him many, 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 many questions so that I could be a better realtor, a better listener. Because if I don't understand what my clients are going through, I can't really help them in the way they need need to be guided. So Alan over the years has given me so many tips, so much knowledge so that uh, when families do get together and often the children are helping their parents, uh, I, I've seen so many families break up over this and I asked him, how can I help? How can I be of service to these folks? And so Alan is a wealth of information and anyone out there listening, you are just going to love this show and what he has to say.
0: Well, I'm really excited personally to get the insight as to you know what, what a psychologist, uh, how a psychologist would break down. Uh, the family dynamics that are at play here because there are certainly quite a lot of them. So uh, really excited to get to our guest. Uh, So I guess uh, let's get to him. I am really excited today to get to our guest. Uh, He is a retired clinical professor uh, of family medicine Uh, from the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health. Um, He's a psychiatric social worker, family therapist, and he's been doing this for over 40 years. So I wanted to uh, welcome in Alan Wolkenstein. Welcome, Alan, how are you doing today?
2: Well, doing very good. Uh, Appreciate uh, being invited uh, to participate in this. And as you probably don't know, I'm in my office on the second floor of our log house, uh, which was a bedroom when the house was built in 1856. And I uh, would share for just a second that um, Kathy and I uh, saw this house um, in 1980 after it had been on the market for three years. Uh, it was uh, empty and uh, in not great condition. And the people who looked at it really weren't able to translate this house into a home. And it was something that Kathy and I were able to do right away. Uh, Both of us said, this is going to be the perfect home for us. It's a place to raise a couple of kids that we had. It's a place to uh, have Kathy's horse. It's a place to have some ducks and geese. It's a place to um, um, enjoy uh, raising our family with the hope that uh, someday, because we're just the caretakers of this property, Uh, that we would uh, sell it to another young couple uh, who uh, had a couple of kids and a dog and were looking for a place to keep a horse. So it's uh, interesting that the conversation today is about this whole issue about uh, homes and about houses and about people's feelings. So I appreciate uh, the opportunity to talk with you uh, sitting in our 165-year-old house. So thanks again for inviting me.
0: It's absolutely our pleasure, Alan. And you know, you make a great point right off the bat there, uh, that we are, you know, talking about feelings, and we are talking about feelings when it uh, is related to moving. Uh, Now, uh, you've been in the business of of helping uh, individuals and also families uh, for over 40 years now. So I'd imagine that over that 40 year time period, you've dealt with people that are reluctant to uh, go forward with a change. Am I correct in that assumption?
2: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Uh, in that 40 years, it was uh, uh, five or so years with uh, delinquent and disturbed kids, and then uh, 10 years at the Children's Hospital working with uh, uh, kids uh, who had serious health problems, and then uh, working with abused and neglected kids. And and then uh, 30 years with uh, medical education, uh, talking about uh, the changes people have to make if they become ill or they become infirm. And one of the things that we always talked about was family life cycle. And while each culture may have four or five different stages, my sense was in talking with uh, young medical students and the primary care residents that there's a time in the family life cycle in which uh, change is pretty much brought about by good things, Uh, looking for a a house to turn into a home, a better job, a better income, raising kids, uh, uh, the cultural things that are very important. But when you get near the uh, last to the second, uh, the second to the last uh, life cycle, you're now struggling with something that Quite difficult and that is change based on loss in other words uh, change doesn't occur uh, because of uh, good things or anticipating good outcomes it uh, frequently comes about uh, through loss and we can all think about the losses that people um, experience Uh, the first one of course is the loss of uh, an important person in their life a partner God forbid, a child, uh, but it's also a loss of uh, health status. Uh, people don't feel well. Uh, they have problems uh, with their mobility. Um, their quality of life is uh, uh, affected. Income is frequently uh, uh, changed. Um, there's a variety of uh, loss based experiences that we go through that uh, many people, um, as you know, really haven't prepared themselves and have the skills to do. So you have a life cycle, you have certain tasks that have to occur, and you need certain skills to do those tasks. And the thing that's relevant is that as we age, we find that we frequently don't have the skills uh, to complete the tasks that are really required. So when I say to you that uh, Kathy and I will uh, sell this house reluctantly someday, But uh, we're gonna take our memories with us and uh, we'll be able to feel comfortable uh, selling it to another young couple who had the same goals and aspirations we did 40 years ago. And they're not in any way burdened with uh, the change issue which is based on significant losses.
1: Alan, I have a question for you. I know that uh, in my practice, of course, I'm selling the home and uh, I'm meeting with people that yes they they are reluctant uh, so often I sit at the table and actually uh, it may come down to tears because um, so often they will say you know I absolutely I love my home I don't want to leave here but I know it's time I know it's something I have to do and um, the feeling like they almost feel they're being forced out of their own home. And I don't, I don't know what your thoughts are about that, but how, how does somebody deal with that? How would somebody like me, what are my best comments to them to assuage their, their fears?
2: I, I think from the experiences that I've had dealing with uh, similar kinds of uh, change is that um, people don't like being, having a sense of being forced. People don't like having a sense of no other option people don't like having a sense uh, that uh, they're not in control of their own destiny and and one of the things that occurs to me as as you were raising uh, those kinds of issues is that uh, when we hear the words that we say ourselves you know i just don't i understand i need to move but i don't want to they're thinking about past experiences that have not turned out well Um, these things may have occurred before in a less dramatic way, but it's still the same feeling of change, which is based upon a loss experience. So there's that past experience. And then there's always somebody they know that had a terrible time uh, doing the very same sort of a thing. So the things that I talk about with people is that in order to be an effective change agent, that you're going to have to change the perception of people, which requires a whole trusting uh, component to it. In other words, the business I have and the business you have is not about this, that, or the other thing, or selling or buying a home. It's really about helping people make the the best decisions for themselves with the options they have available. And when they look at options and let go of outcomes, they're in a much healthier place to look at the uh, different, the uh, different things to think about. So um, Kathy and I have um, come to the conclusion that uh, I just can't cut the grass anymore, no matter how big uh, a lawnmower I get. And that uh, we've uh, farmed that out to uh, a young man in his business and uh, All that depends on whether or not you're willing to make that change and do you have the finances to uh, make that happen. So when people say to you, I know that I should move, I know that I must move, but I don't want to, I think the question then becomes, what are the options that you have if you stay? And one of the things that we've always talked about is getting some help so that you can stay where you are. And I think that in the business you are in, I think that there's um, an important ethical issue in helping people do the best thing for themselves rather than um, uh, selling their home when they really don't want to. When people are that reluctant, they tend to have a bad outcome. If people's perception changes and they're able to look at Another option, which is to let go of the burdens that owning a home uh, implies to them and that they can take their memories of their kids and their dogs and their horse and the geese and the ducks, put it in the suitcases and take it with them. It's less painful because not only are they fearful of leaving the property, they're fearful of leaving the memories that are connected to it. I think
0: you make a great point, Alan, there. Um, so well said. And, and I really like what you said about um, you know having that willingness and letting go of outcomes uh, as, as something that can kind of maybe hold us back uh, because I think we are so used to um, having specific outcomes and this is what I expect to happen. And I'm gonna do this and this, and this is gonna happen. And we can have positive scripts for that and we can have negative scripts for that. Uh, but often, especially, as life goes on, I think, you know, we find, uh, or, you know, especially people in in your line of work will find that having those specific scripts is not, uh, is not helpful, and actually can sabotage us and thinking, well, if this happens, that means it's a bad thing. And my outcome is that this bad thing will happen. And I'm going to hold on to that outcome.
2: So absolutely. So if I reframe what you've just said, in terms of the visionary sort of thing. And reframing is a, is a family therapy term. And if you're taking a picture of somebody and you reframe it, well, you just move the camera a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left, and you see things that you didn't see before. Even though the main character is not in the middle, they're a little bit to the left, but you see a lot of other things. So my experience has been that when we offer the option of, Talking about something and helping people explore the options, they're in a better position now. As part of that, we all know about visions. In other words, I'm not into sports very much anymore. But I know that a a good uh, pitcher has a vision of throwing that 95 mile per hour fastball. A good hitter has a vision of being able to step up to the plate and whack that 95-mile-per-hour fastball for a home run. Golfers think about a hole-in-one. They envision themselves doing it. Um, Fishermen have a vision of casting out and catching that seven-pound bass that's been messing around in, in his boat. So people have positive visions, and one of the things that I encourage people to do who are even thinking about the possibility of moving is to look at the vision they have about what would that move be like. So for example, let us say that I'm willing to move. I'm gonna take my memories and put them in all of the uh, the things we're gonna take with us. And we always take something with us. Then we begin to think about where can I go? Well, you could buy another house that's smaller. You can rent an apartment. You could maybe get a condo. You could maybe uh, even move to a retirement community uh, that has an option for a very safe and independent living. But the important thing is to reduce the amount of losses we feel so that the vision is much clearer, really much more honest, and much more positive. And that's the re- responsibility of the people who do the work we do when people come to us for help.
1: Alan, I know that. When I go into a home again, and sometimes I'll meet with uh, you know the, the parent and the child helping them, but, uh, which we might get into in a little while, but uh, I will hear many, many different types of reasons, now they could be excuses, why they feel that this is not something that they can do, although they want to do it. I know that when the market was crashing in 2008, um, it was almost a relief for many people because their kids wanted them to move to be able to say, "Well, I can't sell my home because nothing's selling and the prices are crashing." And then after that, uh, when you know the market changed and prices go up, uh, I'll hear, "Well, I can't sell now because um, you know." Basically, the market's going up, and I want to wait till it hits the peak. And this is the only money I'll ever have. And then I'll hear other uh, reasons. But how is somebody, in, including a child how how do we know when what they're saying is more of, I guess, glossing over something deeper inside?
2: Well, you know, as I'm listening to uh, the scenarios that uh, uh, that you're, you're presenting, my sense is that. Many of them are based on two feelings we have. We frequently, when there is a possibility of change, we begin to feel lonely. We begin to feel that part of that loneliness is that nobody understands, including our adult children. And we sometimes feel isolated. In other words, even if there's people around us, we feel cut off from them and we feel anxious, which is a terrible feeling. And that leads to that kind of ambivalence you're talking about, that uh, uh, black and white and up and down and left and right. And that is part of denial. In other words, um, it's not a problem. It's not a problem because the market's too low. It's not a problem because the market's too high. It's not a problem because I'm gonna wait until I can really cash in. But the reality is, that um, they're going to have to work a little bit harder with you to see this as less of a reality than it is uh, a wish to keep things as they are. And I've always felt that uh, people can generally make the best decisions for themselves if they're not burdened with a loss component. So, for example, if you're working with uh, a person who is still grieving the loss of a partner, and we start talking about maybe it's time to sell, maybe it's time to move on, the response generally is I'm not able to do that or I'm not willing to do that because I've gone through so much already, I don't wanna lose anymore. And those are issues that are gonna take time. So what I frequently say is, how long do you think you will need knowing that grieving the loss of a partner is a minimum of a year's experience? if not more, and maybe they're going to need that year to think it through. But my sense is that it's not something you can think through with your adult children. It's not something you can think through with the guy who lives next door to you. Sometimes you need some professional intervention, somebody who has been there before, somebody who is older and has heard these kinds of things before, is not thrown by it, is not an anxious person about it. And is willing to let people talk, but excuses are really not very helpful because they're going to paralyze people into not doing anything.
0: I think that's a great point, Alan, about uh, that loss component being there and, and giving uh, giving the individual proper time to grieve, uh, which you know there is no exact timeline for it. I was going to ask, well, how do we know when we've when there's been you know I think a lot of our audience is going to be family members. of of individuals that are looking to make that move. So our question, you know, that the family members might have is, well, how do I know when they've had that appropriate time? Uh, How do I know, uh, you know, how can I assist? What can I do? Because we're just, I just heard you say, well, you know, probably talking to your adult children as a way to process it and to really um, grieve might not be the best route. Uh, So I guess uh, for the families and the adult children of seniors that might've just uh, experienced or be in the middle of grieving a a type of loss component, what advice would you give to them as far as how to best, how to best, uh, you know, help their, uh, their parents?
2: Well, one of the uh, pitfalls in in a, a conversation with adult children and, uh, Uh, a grieving parent or parents um, is that um, we might run into a bit of role reversal in which uh, the uh, the seniors uh, begin to feel that uh, nobody's listening to them nobody's paying attention to them they're pretty much hell-bent on selling the family home and and uh, either divvying up the dividends or having the uh, the parent of parents uh, have uh, sufficient funds uh, for many years to come, but it, it seems to me that when you let when you let adult children uh, begin to put too much pressure on their parents, they're going to um, dig their heels in. They're going to say no, even though I know it's a good idea. The answer is no, or they're going to say. Yeah, go ahead and do what you want, and I'll just have a miserable life from tomorrow on. Neither of those are very, very helpful. So no. one of the experiences um, is to uh, separate adult children uh, from their parents and conversations, at least initially. And I always ask uh, seniors, uh, "What's going on in your life today? You know, what's uh, what's scary for you? What are you worried most about? What are you happiest about? What is it that you need?" Uh, to enhance your quality of life, Uh, who's there for you? And who are you at this point in your life when your home is uh, empty? Um, Just as Kathy and myself, uh, uh, each of our kids has his own bedroom. We essentially (laughs) left it uh, the the same way it was when they moved out, one to Wausau and the other one um, went to Jerusalem for additional uh, studies and then ended up in Boston for a while. But uh, if each of these kids would come home, they would see the room exactly like it was. But one of the things that they'd have to understand is that's not gonna be forever and that uh, it's not in our best interest to bleed ourselves dry, paying for people to paint the house and throw out the garbage and cut the lawn and do the snow and fix the gutters and the air conditioner doesn't work. There comes a point when it's just putting money after money, and there's really no no value in that. But I prefer to work primarily with the seniors themselves, so they really don't feel that they're left out of the equation. You got, we always remember that feelings are legitimate for the people who experience them. Even if their children think it's baloney or it's not true or they're scared, the feelings are legitimate for the people who experience them. And frequently, that is really not appreciated very much because uh, kids can, uh, you know, they want the best for their parents, but they sometimes don't know what the best is.
1: Alan, I know when I'm uh, talking with some of the folks, they say exactly what you're saying. Sometimes they feel like, you know, they're the child. And I think it's important, and maybe you want to touch on this, as far as the words that we use, for instance sometimes uh, the children might say, you know, mom, you know, dad, I am worried about you. I think you should move. I think it's time. And the word is I, I, I. And the parent is thinking it's about them, them, them. They just want me out. Don't have to worry about me anymore. And that kind of thing. So what do you think about the actual, the way we talk to our parents?
2: I think that is extremely important because when we engage in what you're describing as role reversal, in other words, these adult children are beginning to feel that they're in charge that they know the right thing to do um they got a better handle on what their parents need, uh focusing many, many times not on finances as much as safety and there's a one of the things about um feelings is that even if they're illogical, they're sometimes based on a on a bit of reality so when we get into a situation that you realize is a role reversal, you're going to have to try and stop it because when children assume the parental role, they sort of forgot about what happened in the last 50 years. Their parents are always their parents. They will no longer be little kids or teenagers or young adults or even middle-aged adults, but they're never going to be their parents' parent. And therefore, I want to make sure that when I talk with them, I try and say that when we use the word, I think you should, and I think you should, that's degrading to a a senior adult who has spent the last 50 years uh, uh, being the parent. Your parents are always your parents, they're never your children. And part of that uh, problem is a desire to protect our parents from things that uh, will get them in trouble, Um, falling, uh, hurting themselves, becoming uh, uh, ill. And then there's always the the other safety factor about not having the funds to keep pouring into a house. And that's the point where somebody who does the people work has to just help the children understand that what they're doing is pushing their parents into decision-making that they don't want which is always gonna have a negative outcome. There's no way that the parent is gonna have a vision of a successful outcome if they feel that kind of pressure of being the child.
0: So Alan, you mentioned having like a third party, like a mediator. Now, um, so just to to verify, just to clarify for those listening, because I know a lot of adult children uh, might be listening, saying, well, I want to get that. that. That makes sense. Uh, is that going to be a therapist, perhaps, that specializes in this type of work? Or, or who are we talking about? Who is a good person to play that mediator role?
2: Well, you know the old story that if uh, every problem uh, is a nail, every answer, uh, every uh, resolution of the problem is a hammer because I'm a, a social worker by training and a family therapist by uh, training and experience, my sense is to look for uh, a family therapist who has some mileage on them. In other words, it'd be difficult for an elder couple and their adult children to be working with a 25-year-old uh, uh, grad student uh, who hasn't even gone through that, anywhere near that particular life cycle. So you know, whether it's a fair or not, my sense is that uh, a family therapist who has some miles and some experience in being comfortable uh, with what's going to go on into a family session. And I spend a great deal of time working with young physicians about holding family meetings. Now, some of these meetings are good in terms of The diagnosis uh, is resolved. Your parent is fine. Um, They're going to go home today. Follow up is going to be good. It's when the outcome is a bit mysterious or a bit scary that people suddenly forget the skills. So I like to look for somebody who has some experience themselves and uh, has been well supervised and trained and uh, has what I call a non anxious presence. Um, This situation doesn't uh, make them uh, anxious uh, or uncomfortable. Also, people that have a sense of integrity, that it's not about selling your house. It's about helping people, you know, find the best outcome for themselves. And it's really about uh, the changes and understanding the changes that people are going through. So, that's my sense about that. Now. Do you have to be a trained therapist to do this? Absolutely not. There are more and more sort of indigenous people in the community who have this skill and this experience and this ability and they should be called on. For example, I have worked with a number of religious people, several rabbis, a couple of ministers and a few pastors who are as hip and as wise and as good and as kind and as empathetic and compassionate and as knowledgeable as anybody else. So I think that when a family is looking for what you call a negotiator or someone who can help them you know through the challenge they're facing, you need to find somebody that will you know meet the need rather than somebody who's got the right degree.
0: I think you make a great point there. And and I also really wanted to just restate something you said a little earlier uh, that, uh, you know, feelings are legitimate for the people that experience them. And I know uh, for many of our adult children, listeners, we'll just call them that, uh, they're, uh, you know, they sometimes, uh, we That we they can be blinded by you know their ego but also their role uh you know okay well i am you know i am at the height of of my you know kind of my life i'm making decisions for my own children i'm watching over them well now i know that mom or dad are in this situation i need to protect them i need to take that role that role reversal that you were talking about that happens for them as well uh but then you know what what can occur i think uh, very very much uh what can occur a lot of the time is people can forget that uh the feelings that their um, parents are experiencing are absolutely legitimate and they should not be marginalized
2: right in other words it, it is uh, not nice to say to your adult parents don't feel that way or you really don't feel that way you're just saying it those are degrading inappropriate and unnecessary and I'm glad you're bringing that up because, you know, there's another um, area that I wanted to bring up, and that's about the worlds that we live in. You know, so we have an internal world. That's the world that each of you has of what you think, what you feel, um, your dreams, your aspirations, your worries and stuff like that. And then there's a real world, how you relate to other people, your experiences, in the real world and things like that. When people are not in conflict, or they're not being sabotaged by their own stuff, or that they're not uh, in trouble, the worlds are parallel and they go along very well. But if you get to the point where they're in a grief loss experience, or they're in conflict with their own kids, or they have lost their friends, or they are so uncertain and worried about their future, Those worlds are going to conflict with each other, and what their adult children are going to see are confused and frightened and scared parents that weren't like that before. And and in fact, I've heard so many adult children say to me in front of their parents, I have never seen my parents afraid before as I see them now. And And then my comment is, well, what is that like for you? Where do you feel that? And what they'll say is it scares them to see their parents afraid. And I've had one senior father say, don't, don't be afraid of your fears, which I thought was a great comment. In, in, in other words, the adult children sees their parent afraid and worried and uncertain about the future. And it scares them because they may they never have seen it. Now, it doesn't mean it wasn't there it just means they're too busy doing their own life and they haven't seen it. But now, you know, it's pretty blatant, it's pretty out in the open and that's what scares them so much. So that senior adult saying, don't be so afraid of your fears, I think was a very reasonable sort of a thing. It is so inappropriate to say to anybody, oh, don't feel that way, or that's not the way you feel. That just makes them dig their heels and then feel, I'm lonely, I'm isolated from people that are helpful and I'm fearful. And then if you don't work on those things, you get to the three things that really bother people. One is a sense of being mad, just angry. One is a sense of being sad, depressed. One is a sense is being scared, which is anxious. When you put those three together into a senior adult or to anybody, you can see how Difficult it is to see good options as what they should be doing, including whether they should move or not.
1: You know, Alan, one of the things that you taught me, and I know um, you've spoken at uh, some seminars that we had to adult children and their parents, and I think there's a sense from the children's standpoint that, you know, God, I'm trying to do my best. I have never gone through this before. And as you say, um, there's fear involved, not only on their parents' side, but on, on their own. And then many times I'll hear from the adult children that maybe, maybe a few years past the incident where mom or dad had to move, they'll say, you know, I just I would have done it differently. I don't think I did a good job. I, and they're having some remorse, they're feeling guilt, many things, because they're not professionals and and as you say, those role reversals can really um, be difficult. And what you taught me is that to look back and say, you know, when I look back at this, basically, I did the best I could at the time. And, and again, that has really stuck with me.
2: Yeah, you know, uh, as I listen to what you're saying, I kind of feel good because uh, that, that's something uh, that's remembered. The thing that's really fascinating is uh, the fact that we seldom feel we've done the best that we can. So when an adult child has a sense of remorse or guilt, I always bring up the thing that you know you ought to feel guilty if you don't do what you're supposed to do, or you do something you shouldn't do. The rest of it is just gravy. People do the best they can under the circumstances. And when you have an adult child is faced with frightened parents, it's easy for that fear and that anxiety to sort of contaminate the adult children and certainly contaminate the relationship. Um, it's a very difficult time for many people. Now, I would be remiss, and so would everybody, if we said that, well, everybody goes through this and you know that's just part of the price you pay for being older, and the truth of the matter is is that I work with a bunch of people in retirement communities who couldn't wait to sell their house and get into a retirement community where they don't have to do anything except, you know, pay the bills. And I honor those people. I think that's absolutely wonderful and pleased for them. But the people that are having a tough time, those are the people that need our intervention in a much more positive and 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 directed way. And I like the fact that, you know, you make it clear to them that they really tried to do the best they could under the circumstances and didn't have any experience to fall back on. And they did the best they could. And uh, hopefully that uh, guilt and and remorse will uh, eventually fade away and then replaced by those memories that are much more positive.
0: Absolutely. You know, I think so. What what I'm hearing from you, Alan, is that we all are essentially, for the most part, trying to do our best in the given situation. At, at, at any given time, we're trying to do our best. But yet so many of us look back and say, well, we didn't do enough. We didn't do that. So we're left with all this guilt. And and, and, and we're left with anxiety about, you know, am I going to be able to do my best this time around or with the next thing? So I think giving, giving ourselves some grace is definitely important. Uh, and, some, and some self-love and understanding, because it is a difficult situation, and like you're saying, a lot of times uh, these adult children are seeing their parents in situations that they've never seen them in before. Again, not that they haven't experienced it, the, the actual parents, but uh, that they're they've never seen them in this state. So it's a it's a big bridge to cross for everybody involved, and. So I think giving every, you know, for each of the involved parties to give themselves a little grace, understand it's, you know, it, it's, it is difficult and it is uh, something that they haven't dealt with before. And then I also like, you know, that you were saying a great uh, way to, to get to a good place with this is to try and envision what a successful outcome, not that we have to marry ourselves to that outcome because we shouldn't do that but to just envision what a successful outcome could look like and really key in on that because so much of the time, and I know I can speak for myself, I will focus on the potential negative outcomes. And that's where I will put my energy. (laughs) It doesn't go well, you know, like the whole self-fulfilling prophecy thing, you know, if I'm going to say, well, if I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit a home run. I don't play baseball, but so I guess I really won't. But if I did just thinking about that over and over, uh, you know, letting my anxiety run, uh, you know, wild with it, uh, chances are you know, I'm not going to do it, but you always hear, especially uh, stories from successful people that they do, they envision that. And they say, this, this can happen. I mean, this is what it's going to feel like. This is what it's going to look like. This is what it's going to smell like. I mean, whatever you want to, whatever you want to do, but really putting yourself in that situation and envisioning what a successful outcome uh, would look like.
2: Absolutely. I think you're absolutely right. The envisioning is going to require some energy. It's gonna require input from you if you're dealing with a family that major loss has occurred. They're gonna have to get their energy from someplace. Now it's easier to conjure up negative energy than positive. We already know that. It's easier to take the negative perceptions and visions and go with that as if that's reality. And the truth of the matter is it's not reality. It may be based on past failures, it may be based on Uh, the facts that we have that previous conversations, and then I know that Bruce and I have spent a lot of time talking about the difficult conversations that occur between adult children and their senior parents. And these uh, difficult conversations frequently occur because everybody's got an opinion. Everybody thinks they know what's best, and, and really the people who should be knowing what's best are the people that are struggling. My last sense about this is that there's nothing wrong in the struggle. There's nothing wrong in the energy spent in thinking this through carefully. There's nothing wrong with taking the time. And sometimes that time is not only required, but you got to do something with the time. So in other words, if people want to push this off and say, well, give me, you know, three months to whatever my comment always is, what are you going to do in those three months that will give you a successful outcome? They have to have a task, they have to have a uh, something to do, because a time may heal, but you gotta do something with that time. Very
0: well put. I, I think that it's so important that people, uh, you know, have the, the time that they need, but also not just using it as kind of a, a a way to have an excuse and just put things off and procrastinate. So uh, I think very important.
1: Chris, uh, I can't thank you enough for, you know, helping to put this um, show together because um, you've asked me in the past, you know, who can we, who do you think would be a great guest, um, you know, could share some really important information. And uh, Alan today, I think of all of the podcasts um, that we've had, This one, to me, is the most critical, because if we can't get past the feelings of remorse and sadness and and loss, we're not going to move forward. And all of the other podcasts really aren't going to have as great a meaning until we do acknowledge those feelings. So I just want to say to you, thank you so much for agreeing to participate in this, and I know... Uh, your words are going to be shared with many people, and I'm going to share them with many of my clients um, so that they can understand better how to get through this and do it with a sense of dignity and respect for their parents and for the parents to understand more about what their children are feeling so they can move forward. So thank you so much, Alan.
2: Oh, you're very welcome. You know, I'm uh, sitting up here looking out the window thinking, God, it's so beautiful today. And it was only, what, a week ago when that storm came and blew down four trees behind our house and we just spent thousands of dollars to have them hauled away. And I was thinking, well, that's just part of the change. You know, when we moved in, those trees weren't there and 40 years later, they're there and now they're gone. And uh, if you keep that positive attitude, you think about, well, should we plant another tree? All those kinds of things about what should we do really revolve, you guys, around hope. If you don't have hope, you're not going to think about replanting the trees. If you don't have hope, you're not going to think about a positive outcome. If you don't have hope, you're not going to think about interesting ways to keep one's dignity and presence in difficult times. We know that loss hurls us sometimes to the ends of the earth. The way back, and many people just don't know the way back, but the people who try to find the way back will find quickly that the pathways are clouded over. The signs are sometimes upside down or in foreign languages, and the lights that we put in are suddenly dim. And that's where we're gonna need some interventions to help us come back from those lost experiences and. You know, having been uh, critically ill, um, I had also been hurled to the ends of the earth and, and uh, I was lucky to be able to come back because I found the resources to do that. And some of those resources are internal, but many of them are uh, family or friends or professionals or a community or a neighborhood that sees the value in each and every, every person. So. I've enjoyed uh, spending uh, this time with uh, both of you folks, and I wish you well. And uh, just keep in touch.
0: Thank you so much, Alan, again for joining us today. Uh, really special thanks to you. I think the the uh, the insight and experience that you've uh, you know that you've provided the audience with today is absolutely invaluable. So thank you again. Uh, You're before- very welcome. Before we close up, Bruce, just wanted to ask uh, where folks can find you, find out about upcoming uh, events or
1: things that you have going on? I would say the best place to come and see my articles and the information and including uh, all of our podcasts is on my website. And it's www.brucesteam.com. And there's no apostrophe. So it's brucesteam.com. And on there, you're going to find articles just about uh, any subject that has to do with um, seniors, children, helping the parents, everything we talked about today. And um, again, if you have questions, we'd love to answer them for you. But um, again, brucesteam.com, best place.
0: Perfect. And again, I want to remind all the listeners that you can find the podcast not only on Bruce's website, but also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please check us out there. Subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Uh, That's going to do it for us this week. So thank you so much for joining us, everyone out there. And please join us next week when we will keep you moving in the right direction.